five seconds to submergence. Submergence deep into the absurd. We got Bryce back on Into the Absurd. And I'm going to share a little quote from The Will to Power because it kind of relates to belief and reality, epistemology, something that Bryce teaches at the university. The belief that the world as it ought to be is, really exists, is the belief of the unproductive who do not desire to create a world as it ought to be. They posit it as already available. They seek ways and means of reaching it. Will to truth as the impotence of the will to create. Great. Can you read it one more time, Greg? Yes, yes, I can time. read it one more time. Also, well, thanks for having me back. It's nice to, nice to be doing it again. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So essentially, what's going on here is that Nietzsche is saying that Philosophers, they often want a world of truth, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that implies that this world is untruth, right? Mm. But it also implies that they're seeking this world that is elsewhere, right? right? They say, well, where is this world? Where is it? Where is it? But it's right here, right? right? Because all you have to do is to create the world that you want, right? And, 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 I, and I got that from the quote, and I think that there is the deeper underpinnings of Nietzsche's critique here, especially as it relates to like organized religion and a more deterministic view of reality, right? Where it's like, if there's a God, then God has created the world, and God has planned the world to be a certain way, and so that's all we need to be caring about, right? And like, follow along with what is in the world already. Where Nietzsche, one, I mean, you know, has high-level critiques of any sort of organized religion and Christianity, you know, especially. But uh, the way that I think he thinks that obviously Christianity and other organized religions keep the world as it is, right? And kind of like what that quote references, where mm -hmm. it tells people not to change, not to, not, to, not to, you know, consider something other than what we have. And it also maybe perhaps limits creativity. I'm going to the very like end of the quote. And I, and I forget where this quote is from, but, um, you know, one of my favorite kind of like points of, of Nietzsche is like, you know, what he thinks is like strongest and most alive is that which is most creative, right? And the mm -hmm. fact that like there is something unique to human beings and especially like within the existentialist program of especially the more atheistic existentialist program where there is this focus on self, this focus on you know, again, us being in greater possession of ourself and should be in greater possession of ourself to create a world that maybe is other than it is already, right? And like in the way that, in the way that that is one really challenging because like how do you change the world? How do you change mm -hmm. the systems that we're in? How do you change the society that we, you know, behave and partake daily in, right? And I mean, I think that the Nietzsche for sure was interested in that, but I think he has the underpinning that's the deeper level of like, what is one's frame and consciousness as one relates to reality, relates to one's own existence, right? And, and does one, again, just kind of like placate and say, yep, 
this is how things are. Okay, God, tell me how to live. Or does one take possession of oneself and really start to make choices to live for oneself, you know, in a world with others, but also recognizing that we actually might be capable of more than what we think we are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's just like, I'm just, I'm rolling off that quote a little bit. Um, yeah. But I think that that, that that works, right? And And especially when we think of like epistemologically speaking, to what extent are we able to think about, again, like this kind of level of like determinism, of, of indeterminism, and, and, you know, like what kind of space in, in that kind of classification can we, you know, um, move forward with too. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he heavily negates determinism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of negates the whole concept of causality in general. Right. That, uh, that what we're saying that when an event leads to another event, we're saying that X led to X, right? And we're kind of ignoring all the other things around it that led before that. So... And also we're saying that with causality, there was this point where there was a beginning where that thing in itself wasn't a cause of something else, right? Because right. everything is a cause of something before it. And if time goes forever, then, you know, where's the start, right? Great. Where was the first cause? Classic metaphysical question, classic yeah. theological question, right? Because again... Often the- theological responses are like, well, God's the creator of everything. Well, what created God? Can something mm. be the creation of itself? Like, and those are, those are issues that, I mean, I think are fascinating to think about. I'm not all too concerned about it because it's like, well, we're here, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like, um, excuse me. But I think that they are, you know, interesting to consider, especially in that, like, metaphysical space. But then I also think that, that what you're speaking to, again, falls deeply in line with various existential themes. And, and most importantly, like, I think what you just described is like the absurd, mm. frankly. Like, I mean, and, and, you know, and just to the title of your podcast, like into the absurd, like that's what we're diving into, right? Mm-hmm. And to take it a step further, existentially speaking, that's what we're diving into with our existence is the absurd because nobody has the answer. Right. Mm-hmm. And and even those that might want to point to a religious outlook and might be very convinced by a religious outlook, there are still some insufficiencies in trying to explain existence. Right. And trying to explain why we're here, why we're doing what we're doing and how it is we ought to live. And mm-hmm. and frankly, like the existentialist says, all right, these are worthwhile questions, but also they're freaking absurd. Like, yeah, we're here like like we need to know what to do about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and just like that there isn't, and again, for like, especially Nietzsche and Sartre and Camus, there's this, this reference of, there's this reference that there is no deity. There is no predestined determined way of thinking about our own existence, but rather like we have to reconcile what to do perhaps in a quote unquote, I'm, 
going to maybe kick myself saying this, but we have to reconcile what to do in a quote-unquote meaningless world, right? And I'm doing yes. air quotes around meaningless because, like, for Camus, Sartre, and Nietzsche, there still is meaning. It's just not from a higher power, right? Yes. Uh, it comes from within. Exactly. Exactly. And so the idea, I think, that's, like, really provocative here is that, like, and this, I think, actually goes to your quote that you started out with. I mean, so many want to point to this quote-unquote, objective, you know, meaning that exists for reality, for existence, but v various existentialists are saying, nope, like, that, that, that doesn't, right? But we can still create meaning. We can still exist in a meaningful way. But that's through our choices. It's through the world within which we create. It's through, you know, what we choose to engage with and how we, choose, how we choose to engage with it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have the free will to determine your own meaning, right? Uh, to have a meaningful existence, and that's kind of why I brought up that causality thing, right? Because uh, if there's no causes, then you are responsible for everything, right? And that, for many, seems freaking terrifying. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> like, and and I mean, and I, I would say more so than Nietzsche, but this is something that. Sartre points to, which I, I feel very compelled by. I feel, I feel like, like there is, I feel very compelled by, by Sartre's recognition of this like inescapable responsibility where, again, I think it's freaking scary, but I also think that it allows one to take greater possession of oneself and kind of the existence that one has and one hopes to have, right? Um... And so the question is, what do we do with that responsibility, right? Do we embrace it? Do we try to take it on? Or do we run away from it and say, nope, not my, not my responsibility. God's going to tell me how to live. Look at all these systems that are already in place. I can't go do anything and be anyone I want to be because I just can't do that. Like, that's impossible, right? Or, you know, so, I mean, it's like, how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, you kind of, I mean, it's a whole labyrinth of, philosophical thought, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get trapped in this one little area of the labyrinth and you just think, you know what? I'm just going to stay here. Yeah. And some people, they say, nope, I'm turning back. I'm going to keep trying to find that treasure in the center of wherever it is. Right. Uh, when I, I mean, I personally believe that there's no real treasure, right? right? We're just, the labyrinth in itself is the treasure. Right. And and then again, I think you're right to point out in that kind of metaphor where it's like, what do you do within that labyrinth, right? And I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I think the the easy critique, and maybe I'll catch some flack for saying this, but also, why the hell not? But I feel like like that corner in the labyrinth of people saying, all right, I know that this like labyrinth exists, but I'm just going to stop here and settle, right? Like, I mean, that's very much, I would say, in line with the kind of like stereotypical cookie cutter, you know, kind of life, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, all right, you buy a house at the end of a cul-de-sac, you have 2.5 kids, you've got a nice little fence, you work a little bit, you have two cars, maybe you own a boat, and what, you do that for 30 years, 40 years, and then you die and then your children repeat that cycle? Like, is, the, is, that, is that really like the, 
is that really the best way to live? Is is just to kind of like find that? And and again, like, and I'm not trying to like be belittling in any capacity because like, um, you know, I like I'm not gonna. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people that are very proud of the life that they can create for themselves mm-hmm. and maybe mimic that kind of um, that mimic that kind of outlook. But I my main point in saying that is I mean I think that that you know at various points and I feel very confident about this that we have all gone and all go through quote-unquote existential crises at various stages in our lives right um and and those can be provoked by experiences by situations and I think that there are those that you know like those those situations that that you you're confronted again maybe to work in that labyrinth right and I mean the classic you know Robert Frost poem of like you know, uh, uh, two roads diverge in a wood, right? And mm-hmm. which one do you take? Like, there's the easy one, and then there's the one that's more of the unknown, right? And like, and the unknown might, you know, down the line, reap greater reward, but taking that first step is the most difficult thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. Because like, the path that's easy is just that, it's easy. Right, like you yeah. know what you're gonna get. You know that you're gonna live securely, both financially, probably like in a location that's secure. You're gonna be able to raise your children in a way that's healthy, which is great. And I'm not, again, trying to denigrate that at all, because I think that that. Um, I mean, we're the products of that. Exactly. Yes, 100%. We're very lucky to be products of that, right? And 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 and, and I and I feel very grateful to come from a loving family that, that had the resources to provide good education, provide great opportunity. Um, but I also think that it's interesting, and I know to my parents, uh, I don't know if it's frustration, but probably to my parents, um, um, I don't even think it's confusion, but to my parents probably just like questioning how I'm 33, I'm not married, I don't have a house, I don't have kids, I don't live at the end of a cul-de-sac, right? Like, like, so in what way, like, <laughs> in what way have I done something wrong, you know, quotations yeah. around it. And especially when, like, many of my friends that are the same age, you know, do own a house, do have kids, do live in the burbs. Like, like you know, and all of those changes within their lives have occurred in the last three to five years, right? And so it's just kind of interesting to see, like, how we all kind of like take in and take on various ways of thinking about living our lives. And I, and I would claim like, and I, and again, I want to be very sensitive here that like, I don't think anybody's doing it better or worse than anybody else. Like, I don't think that I've made better decisions than my friends that have gotten married, had kids, lived at the end of cold sack. Like we're just living different lives, but it's like what versions of those lives and where did those conceptions of what, counts as a meaningful existence like where did that come from or kind of in what Mm -hmm. way do we you know what way do we embrace possibilities that that embrace possibilities or um not embrace possibilities you know i mean sorry i'm gonna roll for a second is that okay oh keep rolling okay all right uh roll on uh, this is a little bit more personal than maybe philosophical but like i personally have like you know, moments where, you know, I've now been teaching for about 10 years, lived in the same town for about 10 years. Um, you know, I've had friends from graduate school, 
here at the University of Idaho that, that have all moved on to like other places and done other things. And, mm-hmm. and often there's this view, societally speaking, there's this view, societally speaking, that like moving on means progression, right? Like you're moving to something new. You're moving to something else. You're, 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 and, and like sometimes it's phrased like you're moving to something better, right? And I've had a handful of friends that, that I've known that move and they like really struggle for community, for people. They struggle for, mm-hmm. you know, finding like kind of a lifestyle that they were able to have here or that they would be more preferential to. Um, and so I struggled for a long time of being like, being like one that, that didn't move, that stayed here, that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I teach the same damn classes most semester. I've got some variability. And so in what way have like, I played it safe, right? Like in what way, like when I'm confronted with, you know, possibilities of, you know, staying on the same path of living in Moscow, being an instructor at the University of Idaho teaching philosophy. Like, that's, that's the easy path because that's what I know. But then, like, you know, to what extent when opportunities come about to, like, maybe pursue elsewhere, do other things, like, frankly, for a long time, I've never even entertained them, right? And so, like, so existentially, I kind of grapple with the same critique that I offered <laughs> a couple of minutes ago, where it's like, all right, I may not be married, have kids, live in the burbs, but I haven't changed a ton about my existence, right? And and that is something that like I think about and I don't have a good response to other than I think one thing, and, and again, this is maybe my cynicism, mm-hmm. uh, but one thing that, that I know that I can point to is that luckily with the career that I have as a teacher, I feel very passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and because of like actually being excited to teach, to be in the classroom, to like continue to like maintain and be lucky to maintain this job, it makes staying, it makes not taking on other risks mm-hmm. easier, right? Yeah. Where I know many, and I don't, and again, I think, um, stupid phrase, but different strokes for different folks. Like, but I, I don't think, (laughs) I don't think I would do well in a corporate setting. Like, I don't think that I, I don't think that that, I don't think that, that, that environment, I don't think that that particular lifestyle, even though I probably worked in some corporate job for some agency doing something, probably make like double what I make, like, you know, which is kind of a funny thing, but I don't know if I would necessarily feel as fulfilled. Mm-hmm. As I feel so, so well. Too- I mean, the cost of living in some other place is going to be vastly more expensive than here, anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you'd have more money, right? Right, exactly. Like in the in the relative kind of scheme yeah. of it, right? And and yeah, and so, but it's it's been interesting just to kind of connect it with, you know, with where I'm I'm at as, a, as someone in my early thirties and looking around at others that are my friends that I've known for a while in their early 30s and like what kind of lives are we living, right? And and then grappling like existentially with with all sorts of things, you know? Um, yeah, and I think and I think co I think this past year like being in in the COVID world and like kind of like having more time actually like away from the classroom 
I mean, I missed it for sure, but I also like had more time to think about like what could be next, right? Like what mm-hmm. what could could I find myself doing? Uh, what I could find myself doing, maybe like that that wouldn't be in Idaho, that wouldn't be teaching, right? And I've got some options, but like I also think, and I'm going to tie it a different direction. Um, sorry, this cup of coffee is kicking in, so I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm rolling here. Try to um, roll on. Yeah, all right. Uh, uh, but I think that there's also something really interesting, which we can kind of steer back maybe a little bit more to um, like a cerebral kind of uh, intellectual discussion, or we can just kind of keep diving, whatever. But, um, but I don't think that our existence is defined by our profession. And I think that... that Societally speaking, especially in the West, especially in America, we make this move that we define ourselves by what it is we do, a.k.a. we define ourselves by how it is we make money, which I think is an issue. And I think that I struggle with that. I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I think and Sartre had a lot to say about this. And, and Nietzsche, you know... Yeah, Sartre had a lot to say about like kind of this concept that I'm speaking to right now, mm-hmm. where it's like when I think of like other existential possibilities, often I think of them in terms of, well, I need to make money, right? Or like how will I make money? Or, you know, what could I see myself doing? Also known as like what job could I see myself having? And I think that that's uh I think that's that's an issue the way that like I think that's an issue, and I, and I don't know how to combat it. I mean, Sartre, Sartre wants to definitely, like, make sure that, like, we don't play roles, right? Like, so when we think of, when we think of, like, how to define our existence, we shouldn't just reduce it to the roles that we play. Um, and Sartre also had various thoughts on, on the capitalistic structure and the way that, like, capitalism, and this is in line with various, like, Marxist ideas of thought, but, like, the the you know, um, you get alienated from yourself. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, like the working forces a necessity that doesn't actually exist. Right. And, Mm. but maybe it does exist. Right. And that's the, that's the question. Like I, I, I mean, and so that's where it's tricky. Um, well, it's a psychological thing. Right. I mean, it exists psychologically, you know, like people create, a need for something that was never a need before so that they can make money. Right. Right. Oh, you need this. Right. You need it. You need it. I swear you need it. Right. Oh, and you need to create this thing that these people need so that I can make money from your labor. Right. And in that process, and and I think you're right to point out that like, you lose track of who it is you are often, right? Like, and you wrap yourself up into an identity that isn't maybe of who you are, but it's of what your product is, right? Whatever that product be, right? Like, like maybe a material object, maybe an immaterial object, right? But this is also, I mean, there's another way to take this. You know, it's, uh, sure, like, you might be slaving away for someone, but... In a sense, we all have the opportunity to create something, right? And with that creation, mm-hmm. we can survive off of what we create. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's an economy that thrives off of people being creative, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, one thing that is a value to it, 
Um, and we can think of it in the way like, oh, I'm like, I have to go work for this person. I take all my value from being a plumber, mm -hmm. right? I take all my value from being a plumber. Um, when I'm not a plumber, I feel like my life is meaningless, blah, blah, blah. But you could also think of it, oh, I have a meaningful job and I have a meaningful life outside of that job. And my job provides me with what I need to survive. And with that, I also use the little leftovers to do whatever. Right. 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 And, and I think that that is the more helpful way of thinking about it, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, and I think that that is a nice response of like, of, of again, hopefully finding passion and, and worth in the work that one does. Mm -hmm. And again, I want to be very like clear. I am freaking lucky. Like I get to, yeah. you know, like I and I, I'm, I'm very privileged to be able to be a senior instructor in philosophy at a major institution in the United States of America. Mm. And like, and I, and I, I get to, I, I'm very, very lucky. And like, and that's not lost on me. And it's not lost that 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 I have a lot more kind of like autonomy than than maybe others in other professions do right where there's much more of a strict set of guidelines of yeah. of what has to be done when it has to be done etc right and i think that that autonomy and i've had conversations with with friends and, and partners that, that are similar to this where it's like one thing that i love about my job isn't like i mean i love teaching philosophy but i love the lifestyle that it affords right mm -hmm. and i feel like i have more time to devote to other things that are important to me than maybe I wouldn't yeah. if I had a different profession. And this ties into an observation that Marx makes about, you know, when we are most alive is when we're at play, right? Like mm -hmm. that's kind of like how he, to my understanding, it's been a long time since I've like actually read and engaged with Marx, but like, like he, he, was, he, was, he, he was highly aware of how much leisure plays into how we like know ourselves and think of ourselves and like mm -hmm. and so you know in this kind of capitalistic world within which we live those moments that we are most free are those moments when we're at leisure right because yeah. we're doing whatever we want and so we make this move we're like all right well I worked you know 40 hours this week so I've got the weekend off I'm gonna do whatever I want and then I gotta go back to Monday and do it all over again right um where where like you know, what would it look like if we, like, the normalized 40-hour work week was reduced by eight hours, right? Or we could like, definitely reduce it. Right. I mean, there's no need to be working 40 hours a week, at least in my opinion. Right, right. And then, like, what, what might that do for overall, one, just general productivity, and two, for the way people think of themselves and think of kind of, like, how they spend their time. And, and this isn't also to say, because I think you kind of mentioned this, I mean, I also like to work. Like, I... I like, and I've like grappled with, with this thought where, um, and I think I mentioned this maybe in the last podcast we did, but um, like I bartend part time, right? Mm -hmm. And we just are the place where I bartend just reopened in mid late March, and the past couple of weeks I've been on campus like during the day, and I like kind of wrap up my work here on campus at like two. And then I usually get to the bar three, four nights a week um, at, at like 3, uh, 3.30. And I open the bar and I stay there till like 9 or 10. 
And so there, there's been some long days over the last, yeah. like, last uh, four to six weeks. But it's been really good, too. Like, I like, I like it, and I like mm. those two outlets. And, again, like, sometimes the way that and, – and the way that I've, like, kind of, like, thought more about work – is is more so not about necessarily money. I mean, that's not it's not to say that I don't think about money because I absolutely do, but I think about it in terms of time, right? And I think yeah. about it in terms of like time and energy. And I think that again, I'm in a very privileged spot to be able to be like, all right, if if either job wasn't worth my time or energy, then I should pursue something else that would be worth my time and energy. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. You have the freedom to choose where you work, and you have the responsibility to choose where you right. work. Exactly. Right? And 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 again, I think this is easier said than done. I'm not, and I, and yeah. I think I'm I'm coming from like, again, a really lucky perspective because I enjoy both teaching philosophy and I enjoy bartending, um, and and I'm in a position that that feels very, yeah, it just feels very lucky. Um, yeah. And where, like, I know many people that are in positions that, that, that are perhaps quite unhappy um, and maybe don't seem like there's a total way to get out of it. And the prospect of, like, getting out of it seems even more daunting than staying in it, right? And so that's why I think a lot of people stay in really hard, really frustrating jobs. And I think you can extrapolate this to, like, relationships as well because, like, sometimes the ideology is it's, like, easier to stay in then going back to what we were saying, uh, take that path of the unknown, right? And mm. and either quit the job or break up with that person, and then you're left in this space that's very vulnerable. It's very scary because it's not what you know, you know. Yeah, but I mean, no matter what, you're gonna die. <laughs> so that, I mean, that is a fact, right? Yes. So it's right. it's not like even <laughs> if you were like out on the street starving, like that's gonna happen at some time, anyways. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think it should be, I mean, it's a worry for me, obviously. Right. Like, I am scared of, like, oh, God, like, losing everything and then starving right. on the street. But uh, then I kind of take a step back. Hey, well, that's going to happen anyways. There's going to be a time when I'm going to be sick. Or I'm going to get hit by a car. I'm going to get shot. I'm going to get stabbed. I'm going to fall over, hit my back, right. lay unconscious. I'm going to find a brain tumor in my head. I'm going right. to find a tumor in my lungs. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I'm going to be inexistent at some time. Right. Or I'm going to go off to some other realm outside of this life. Right. This life in particular is going to end, and you can't escape that reality. Right. And so then that ties back into something we started out with, like how do you live in the face of that? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, yeah, I think two things. One, I mean, it speaks, I think, to the fragil- fragileness, fragility, uh, fragileness of existence. Um, you know, where again, like, yeah, yeah, like anything could happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, obviously we live our lives, we live our lives often, like, you know, by assessing risk. Right. And, and what is risky, what is not risky. And, and again, risk being like, you know, all right, we're on like the third floor here. Like, you know, are we at more risk being up high for, I don't know, a tree branch coming through the window or like, mm-hmm. you know, 
should, would it have been less risky to like do this interview on a first floor, right? Like I, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but again, those, those aren't really thoughts that we think too consciously, right? But yeah. like, but yeah, so I think we make a lot of decisions about kind of like how we think we will best continue to live, survive, and maybe that's instinctual to some capacity. But then I also think your comment speaks to, again, what both Sartre and Nietzsche and others recognize, which again is the absurdity of existence. Right? Like we, we, I think that we make, and we should make, and I do think this, I think we should make a lot of meaning out of the existence that we have at present, but it's also making that meaning in the face and the recognition that it could be over like that, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so, and so again, like how do you operate with that prospect? Do you say, ah, fuck it, I'm out. Right, like it could be over at any instant, or do you say, "Well, this is what I got. This is what I got, and I'm gonna make X, Y, Z decision." You know. Have you read the conspiracy against the human race? No. No, I've never even heard of it. It's a. Uh, it's definitely something that you should consider throwing in uh, in belief in reality. Okay. It's it's sort of a horror fiction. I just read the preface okay. so far this morning, and. Uh, it's kind of a lot like nausea. I haven't read nausea. Mm-hmm. I just read the synopsis. But yeah. he was telling this story about when he was a little kid, like nine years old. Uh, his parents were yelling at him. And then he walks outside and his friends were waiting. And then his friends were like, uh, what went on? How's it going? And then his friend said, or like the guy says, yeah, like, uh, like screw them. Like, I hate my parents or whatever. And his friends say... Well, don't say that. That's horrible. Your parents created you. You're the reason why you ex- exist. I mean, they're the reason why you exist. And then the guy, he starts thinking to himself, hmm, like, why should I be grateful for something I didn't, you know, cause, that I had no say in? I had no say in existing. And who am I to say if this existence is any good? Right. Who am I to say that this existence is something special? That having brought out from inexistence into existence, that this is some good thing. That this isn't something that's, say, like nauseating, like right. like Sartre would say. Right. Good. Uh, very curious about that book. So you have to let me know how it is. Yeah. Uh, and and two, yeah, just in that little anecdote. I mean, yeah, it it very much seems and sounds in relationship to kind of this notion of the absurd, right? And that, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, we've mentioned a couple of times, but yeah, this idea that like we didn't choose to be born. Like that's a, it's a very strange thought to think because we're here, right? You know, we were born to who we were born to. And like you and I can sit down and like have this chat and connect, but we've also had like very different lives, right? Like mm-hmm. you were raised in Idaho. I was raised in Kansas. We're both, you know, in the United States, but like, like how come, and, and again, like, was it just chance? Like I could, could I have been born in Malaysia? Right. Like, mm-hmm. like if, but then, but would it have been me that was born in Malaysia or would it have been Malaysian being not me? Right. Like you can play yeah. these like really like weird games, but it is like this very, I mean, I mean, and again, not to denigrate, like, in any capacity, like, you know, uh, but it seems all arbitrary, 
Mm. Right? Especially I think so. Especially if, if, if you're not and again, this is a, this is in line with like a Sartrean way of thinking about it. Where especially if like you don't hold to a religious outlook and you don't think that God had a plan for you, if you don't think that that God planned on you being born to the parents that you were born to, and that God planned your parents getting together, that God planned their parents having them, right? Like, and you again trace this like you know reductive line all the way back, right? Mm-hmm. Like if if you take a lot of that out of the equation, <laughs> uh, then yeah, like a lot of it seems pretty damn arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, going back to the causality thing, I mean, if God planned all that, well, who planned God? Right. 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 And yeah. and then again, you you kind of ask those questions about like, okay, well, I grew up in a really great part of Kansas City, to really great parents that I'm very lucky for. But what about those that are raised by a single parent in the inner city that maybe really do have a much more difficult life than I do, right? And that, that have had a much more difficult life than I could even frankly probably imagine. And it's like, did I, did I just get lucky, right? Like, I mean, did I just get lucky? And then, and then what does that mean for me moving forward, especially if, if and when I, you know, and potentially a father, like, and that's again not to say that like you know I think that that we can all say like yeah we can work hard and try to provide the best for our children and pro- provide the best for like our future generations, um, but yeah I don't know I mean it's just it's it's an interesting thought where it's like, and then and then you play out the game okay well like, you know I was lucky enough to be born to who I was I was born to but like in what way would my life had been different had my parents been millionaires right Mm -hmm. or like i don't know you play you can play these games you can play all these what ifs across the board and i don't know how productive it all is other than to point to some of the insights that sartre and nietzsche offer where it's like a lot of this is arbitrary even though we think it's like you know preordained or really really like Mm -hmm. you know destined but a lot of it's arbitrary and then second what do we do about it right like i mean i I think that's like the question that i think is maybe more worthwhile to ask is like all right we can play all these what ifs and offshoots of all these questions but like now what you know like i'm here i'm having this conversation with you i'm lucky to be part of the family that i'm part of i have the relationships that i do with my friends my partner like now what like 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 ready, set, go from here rather than, like, all of that behind me, right? Which is definitely, like, part of who it is I am at present, but it's also not, but that also, you know, like, yeah, like, we, we if we think time is real, and if we think that, 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 and if we think that we should do something about the fragileness of our own existence, then we should live, we should, we should, not just settle, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, with time, Excuse me. if you thought about it, we think of time in seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we were to split each second to infinitely small fractions, right, it would all just be fluid, basically. Right. Um, so with that said, I mean, each moment doesn't really lead to the next because there's no real moments. It's all just uh, there. Right. It's all just there, and it's all like... I mean, 
it, it's this kind of like paradoxical approach of yeah. of it being an illusion, but it being a constant as well. Yeah. Right. And and how do you reconcile that? Um, yeah, I had an interesting discussion in my belief in reality class this semester, okay. um, where we were talking about identity, right. and you know, and asking this kind of question of like. How am I the same person as I was when I was five, when I was 15? You know, like, in what way can my identity always be changing but always be constant, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because I think that there is this hope of, of, you know, a reconciliation between constant change and permanence. And I had a student that, that brought up something that I had never even considered, but I thought it was, like, rather telling, um... And they brought up this idea of like, of, and they were talking about like when you learn a skill, right? If that skill still exists now, then you can be mildly confident that it was you who learned that skill years prior, right? Mm -hmm. And and so I was thinking about this, right? Where it's like, me as thirty-three-year-old Bryce, you know, probably couldn't play guitar if sixteen-year-old Bryce didn't start learning how to play guitar, right? Mm -hmm. And and so there's this interesting like move of like and I don't remember much about what my life was like when I was 16. It's crazy to think that that was like 16, 17 years ago. It makes me feel real old. Uh but like but I do know that there is some sort of consistency because again, I can possess the same skill that a prior self started learning, right? Um, yeah. And so, kind of like thinking about it like existentially, like, okay, what kind of things can we do now that can, again, build our own identities in the future, but also like maybe even build more of our existences in the future that are ours, right? In that kind of like possessive sense that I think is uh, like deeply existential. Hmm. The way I think of it is... Um that I kind of just feel like an experiencer. Hmm. That's my role in mm -hmm. existence, is being an experiencer. Mm -hmm. And everything uh, else, the thoughts that come in my head, the words that come out of my mouth, um, the decisions that, uh, quote-unquote, I make, mm -hmm. um, these are just things that, I guess, quote-unquote, I experience, right? That this thing that's experiencing reality is experiencing hmm. um, because when we go back to that skill analogy of you learning guitar when you were 16 years old and now you know how to play guitar right but the thing is when you're born and if you throw a baby into a pool they already know how to swim they start swimming it's the only uh, primate that knows how to swim straight from birth but that's a skill isn't it but you didn't learn the skill, right? Right. right. Your ancestors did, right? But they weren't you, were they? Right. They were something totally different, right? And and so yeah, I mean, you kind of like uh, start to work in. I mean, these kind of questions, I think, are not only like metaphysical, but they are like there's there's an area of philosophy called the philosophy of biology, right? Which asks mm -hmm. these like kind of like more, you know, I, I would say obviously like deeper questions that a lot of like biology just assumes right and yeah. so so we think about like those questions and i i mean i do not feel qualified to actually like dive into it so i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna reel back here that's right uh, i took i took a philosophy of biology class in graduate school um 
Yeah, and and there and I, I remember like being obviously like kind of into it, but um, I would not be qualified to speak. Well, let's. I mean, so let's just keep in mind. You know, this isn't an education podcast, right? This right. is an entertainment podcast. Right. Right. So I mean, you don't have to be qualified to right. say say something about something, <laughs> right? Right. Close one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there is something like. Okay, I'm going to go a different direction, but it connects with the analogy, right? Um, more classically and more easily engaged with is the question as it relates to our identity, both perhaps metaphysically and existentially. What shapes us, nature or mm-hmm. nurture, right? And I mean, like, that's a classic question in psychology. It's a classic question in, in philosophy and sociology, right? And, like, into what... And to what extent does one play more of a role than the other? Are they equal, right? And and I think that that's a really like fascinating question to ask because like I absolutely am a product of where I was raised, who I was raised by, the opportunities that were afforded to me, and then currently the life that I still am lucky to live, right? Mm-hmm. Like absolutely, like the nurture around me has absolutely shaped who it is that I am, yeah. but I also know that like my my you know the genetics that i've been predisposed to the the familial history both like in my actual family but then also you know you think of it like just in terms of like the human family right mm-hmm. like yeah. like it's it's kind of a challenging question it's interesting right i mean yeah. and 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 i think that 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 many would often try to say I think the easy answer is like it's a little bit of both. Mm. I think that's like the safe answer. But like what might be more, right? Like like and and to the fact that like and what the implications would be were it to be found out that like nature plays a lot more of a role than nurture, right? Mm. Um and like and then how much of like an inescapability of like our physiological genetic selves that we can't escape right like like if i have yeah. you know if my family has a history of um you know some sort of disease like to what extent like i can't escape that like that's just mm-hmm. part of my genetics and again going back to like something we talked about it'd be kind of like in line with that 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 focus on the arbitrariness of just like well shit yep like mm-hmm. you know i mean i don't just as an example, I mean, I don't have, um, yeah, like, like, yeah, you just, you, you think of, of whatever kind of like genetic diseases that maybe get passed down and, and if it makes you a higher percentage chance of developing that disease later on or yada, 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 like, doesn't that just seem kind of arbitrary to like you? Yeah. I mean, I think it's arbitrary. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, everything in in nature outside of us that nurtures us i mean Mm -hmm. they have properties that were natured and nurtured into them um if you have a history of heart failure in your family right there was a time generations before you where that was nurtured into them right Right. through whatever happened in their environment right um, that caused their genes to shift in such a way where it would lead to heart failure down the line right and, and, and like, and what's more, and again, this isn't to like denote that 
that that we shouldn't not take our health seriously because we absolutely yeah. <laughs> should. But like, but you could be the most healthy person and like, you know, exercise regularly, eat well, make really conscientious decisions about like your physical health and your internal health as well. But shit, you still might get heart disease. Yeah. Right. Like, like again, this goes back to something we were saying where it's like you could reduce the risk. Right, and you hear that phrasing all the time. Right, it reduces your risk of heart of, of uh, heart. It reduces your risk of, of yeah heart failure. It reduces your risk of, of lung disease. Yada yada yada. Like you hear that phrase, you know, even in advertising, you hear that phrase yeah. all the time, lowering the risk. But even if like you still lower the risk, just in the virtue of being a damn human being, yeah, puts you at risk for developing some of this shit. Right, so yeah. it's like. <laughs> so again, you can go through all and make all of the quote-unquote right decisions. Mm-hmm. And then you still find out perfect, healthy, 33, 34-year-old female develops heart disease and dies within a year. Right? Like, yeah. Like, and so what's the narrative that often surrounds that? Like, oh, I mean, shit, that's so, it is so sad. I'm not trying to be like dismissive yeah. of that. But it's like, <laughs> but it is so sad, but it's like. It's sad to live right? in general. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and it's like, okay. And I think that it just further reinforces the nature of the absurd. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and, and I mean, you hear this kind of like, and I know I'm, again, I, I want to be sensitive here, but you sometimes hear this response where it's like, it's like, well, right. If God has a plan, if there is a God, and if God has a plan, right, God will, when one door closes, another door opens, right? You hear this kind of like imagery surrounding like mm-hmm. paths and, and, and um, you know, direction. And I feel like it's a really troubling response where it's like, okay, going back to this example of a 34-year-old woman dying of heart disease who was, you know, by all measure really healthy, right? It's like... I personally find it really difficult for someone to offer me a religious explanation to what God's plan with was with with that woman's life, right? Like, mm-hmm. like well, it's for us to talk about exactly. on this podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and because I mean, in in the in the, the the more general way of saying this, which is not a new problem for religion, but it's also not a new problem just for like existence but right why do bad things happen to good people you hear that question all the time or like you know if god is all-knowing if god is our all-powerful then why doesn't god help stop the hunger crisis well why would he care if he's all-powerful and all-knowing right right well i mean i mean i think that just (laughs) yeah but i and i think that there is this like this move that's like really difficult and you hear like well you know god wants you to you know, God puts you through tribulations and trials for you to come out stronger on the other side. And I think that's a noble outlook to an extent, but I also think that it's pretty dismissive of, like, how hard shit can actually be sometimes. And how, like, frankly, inexplainable so much hard stuff can be sometimes, right? And I feel like this, this grasping, like... I feel like this is safe to talk about, but it's like, um, 
It's uh, safe. Yeah. This yeah. is a safe zone. All right. I was just chatting with my mom a couple of weeks ago, and we had a family friend that, um, I think in her late 20s, early 30s, and 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 she 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 had become unresponsive and was mm. like like her like her like and again she's a she's a fit fit woman like yeah. she's healthy um she is married she has i think one kid uh like a 2 or 3 year old and um her dad found her at her house on the floor kind of convulsing and like unresponsive and took her to the hospital and it seemed like everything was like just like shutting down and come to find out uh this person um had been bitten by a tick and was suffering some oh, wow. um, suffering like seizures seizures and responses from Lyme disease wow and in my conversation with my mother I mean I was just like again just like kind of blown away I mean you know one in caring for the person that I know that was experienced this right like I can like have and try to be like oh my gosh that is just so freaking sad so scary right yeah and and like, and, and then, and then second, like thinking about like, again, this like arbitrary nature of existence, which goes to, back to the fragileness of like this tiny little insect, right? That's mm-hmm. like, that's smaller than the damn, you know, head of your pen. Like. I mean, he was just trying to eat. Right. And, and nearly, you know, and causes the, the. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's just, it's really tough to reconcile. And it's like, yeah. and, and so for me, and I'm, uh, and again, I'm all for people doing what they need to do to find comfort, to f- find a path to, to move forward, to, to heal, right? But it's like, it's like, okay, offer up prayers for this person. But it's also, aren't we praying to the same God that allowed this to happen? Yeah. <laughs> and like, that either like either and, and allowed and what I mean by allowed is like didn't intervene from it not happening, yeah. right? And and I guess maybe a response would be like, well, they had free will to go camping or they had free will to do X, Y, and Z or like the world's a dangerous place, yada yada yada. But it's still like I think that there's there's a tension and I struggle with like the what I take to be an incompatibility of saying, well, let's pray for healing and and health and all of these things. When in fact, like, if God wanted to, wouldn't God just, like, help us all out? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, uh, you can only put so much in of what you take out. Right. Right. Um, it has to all balance. Right. It has to all be equal. Right. So, um, even if you were to pray to stop world hunger, there'd be something else that would be taken away from that, right? That's the, the deal with the devil that right. we take. Right. Right. Um, you know, you can have this awesome life that's amazing, and you have beautiful friends and a beautiful life, and you got to go camping on the weekends, but, you know, one day... Right. Right. So... Yeah. I think, you know, it's been interesting while we're, while we're teetering around this edge... It's been interesting this past year in the pandemic, and I think because in the pandemic, I don't know about you, but I think that that I've definitely consumed more media than I probably would have liked, um, yeah. just with like more free time, quote unquote. Yeah. And 
both that be social media and just like in general paying more attention to the news and I mean you know it's been a pretty intense year uh, for a lot of different reasons but like I've also uh, I mean I so I have a religious background I don't know if I mentioned that in the pre in the previous you've podcast. told me that before yeah. so I have a religious background so a lot of these questions are and a lot of like my comments are more developed now as a 33-year-old than certainly when I was, like, a pretty evangelical Christian when I was 18, right? Like, yeah. you know, I would hear these questions, but I was, you know, I was pretty convinced by some of the evangelical religious responses that I would get and how to address them. Mm-hmm. But I always still felt that there was, like, more to question and more to, like, be like, ah. Like, I've always had this, I've always had this kind of, like, I don't know about that kind of attitude. Yeah, like, wait Even, a minute. What's that? It's like, wait a minute. Exactly, yeah. And and it's been interesting, even though, like, I don't profess to be a Christian, obviously, clearly. <laughs> I mean, that, that should be pretty clear in this podcast. Uh, and, and nor do I adhere to, like, um, organized religion. I mean, I think that there's still a beauty in thinking about the metaphysics of, of, of a deity or an energy, because that's so new agey, um, that does, like, kind of connect all of us in some capacity. But I say all that by way of saying this past year, I've been really interested, and this stems from a lot of the political divides that I don't really want to dive into on the podcast. Yeah. Um, But a lot of the political divides that we, like, that we, I feel like, have seen even more so in the past year and a half. Um, But it's made me really interested in revisiting as it relates to, um, as it relates to, like, I've revisited... um, the New Testament, because I've been curious about it, right? Mm-hmm. I've been curious to be like, like, <laughs> for the lack of a phrase of sounding corny, uh, what would Jesus do in 2020, 2021? Yeah. Right? And, and in a way, you know, by kind of revisiting some of, like, these texts, you know, um, I mean, I still have, I still have various, like, issues with, with, a lot of underpinnings, but, um, I mean, it's all Paul really. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like it's been really, all I'm going to say is it's been really like, I think worthwhile to revisit. And uh, I think that, 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 um, I think there is like, there is obviously a lot of lesson and a lot of, I think, humility that could and should be learned from what we know to have been, Jesus's life. Uh, now, whether or not Jesus was the Son of God, that's going to again be for theolo- theology and like other people to wrestle with, to you know, grapple with. Like, I don't necessarily want to like dive into that, but I just think like as a message of 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 humility, I think that <laughs> I think that a lot of people are maybe missing that message. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, he was a person who lived in a time where his people were slaves to right. an oppressive government. Right. Yes. And he was also, I would say, very radical. Like, yeah. lived a radical life in a way that 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 I think, and and one reason, yeah, like I think um, he lived in such a radical way that I really think that 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 <laughs> if Jesus was on the corner, I think so many people would be so dismissive of him. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's got to be. 
I mean, people were dismissive of them at exactly. the time, exactly. right? And I mean, but there has to be people out there who are thinkers who want to make a difference, who want to create something new, who want a world that's that's better for everyone. Yeah, right? absolutely. And absolutely. there's going to be people like him, like Buddha, like Nietzsche, like right. whoever, right? Like Gandhi that that are going to create new ideas out of this uh, life that we were, I guess, perhaps destined, perhaps just thrown at us. Right. right. And and I think, you know, Nietzsche has this quote, and this might be like a nice place to like kind of wrap it yeah, all yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, um, but Nietzsche, We're in an hour. So. Yeah, nice. Uh, but Nietzsche has this quote of, of you know, man, but I would, I would extrapolate to say human, so it's all inclusive. Um, but, you know, humans are stretched on a tightrope between ape and ubermensch, right? Which is this mm-hmm. idea of, like, what humans look like beyond humans. This idea of, like, the ubermensch, the overman, the superman, right? Where Nietzsche offers this outlook of, like, what humans could one day become, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's not like they are at present, Right. And and this goes back to kind of like where we started the podcast of of, you know, the world doesn't have to be exactly as it is. And we don't have to be exactly who it is we think we have to be, but rather like we can keep moving towards this like I would almost say kind of like ideal ish kind of like creator of our own values of self mastery of again, like real ultimate possession of self, which is what I interpret to be reflective of like the Ubermensch, right? And maybe we have all these like teachers historically and at present, religiously, non-religiously, that, that offer us kind of this this movement of uh, and on this tightrope, right? And the fact that like we're not ape, we're not animal anymore, right? But we're also not, we're not what it is we could become yet but we're kind of somewhere we're stretched on this tightrope which i always think is kind of an interesting way of thinking about it and i mean and i think that the you know the 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 metaphysical question is like will we ever get there right but that's also part of i think the 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 quote is is to say well maybe we should try right maybe we should try well there you have it, folks. It's Bryce Blankenship <laughs> on living and dying and choosing between apehood and superhumanhood. <laughs> there so. it is. Cool. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. And thank you for listening.